Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Check out the self-pour beer wall at Walters. Walters is located across the street from Nationals Park. Walters is the best sports bar in Navy Yard. Walters is your spot for all of the NBA playoffs. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Now the 1-1. Fastball hit on the ground to short. It beats up Strange Gordon out into left field. One run will score. Chisholm trying to score. Thomas's throw is up the third baseline. Off Ruiz's glove. He doesn't see it. And now the runners will advance. Throw to second. And that ball's in the center field. Aguilar's going to score. Robles a diving play. Saves another run as Soler will go to third. Three runs score. It was nearly a Little League Grand Slam. If not for a great play by Robles. 7-1 Miami, a two-run single. Then Arano fired the ball into center field. And Robles made a diving play to keep that ball from going to the fence. And so Soler only gets to third on the play. But a disastrous outcome nonetheless. A 4-1 game turns into 7-1. And welcome to Nats Chat for Tuesday, May 17th. 2022, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. You know, someday, hopefully soon, the Nats will be good again, and all kinds of good things will be happening. You know, Kate Cavalli will be contending for a Cy Young Award, and Josiah Gray will be among the best number two starters in the majors, and Brady House and Juan Soto will form one of the best one-two punches in the majors, and all will be happy again in Navy Yard. We look so forward to those good days coming oh so soon. And when those good days finally arrive, we probably will look back upon an 8-2 loss at the Miami Marlins in front of dozens of people on Monday night, May 16th, 2022. And we'll have a good laugh. And we'll say, hey, remember those times? Those were bad times. But these times now, these times are much better times. The unfortunate thing is we right now, as we have this conversation, are still in the midst of those bad times. And what we had on Monday night was the worst of the bad times so far this season. You never say rock bottom because you're not sure about rock bottom until you're out of wherever the rock bottom is taking place. But for now, I don't know about you, Mark. To me, this was the worst of the Nats so far this season. An 8-2 loss at the Marlins on Monday night, a game in which the offense was bad, the pitching was bad, the defense was bad. You had that notoriously stale atmosphere in Miami. Not a good night and just not a lot to feel good about with this Nats team right now. 
Well, you know, I do remember a time many, many years ago, back during the original low point for this team, and somebody asked Manny Acta, then the manager, if a particular loss that night felt like it was rock bottom. And Manny laughed and he said, it can always get worse. <laughs> so I shudder to think what else might still be ahead of us before this is all said and done. But yeah, this one was pretty dreadful. And the thing to me is there was an opportunity there in the first two innings for them to actually take control of the game and do something against Sandy Alcantara and maybe just maybe actually put together a pretty good ball game. And they squandered it. And after that, once they were down, it was like there was nothing happening. And I think one of the maybe most discouraging things about this team so far this year, and this is different and not necessarily what I was expecting to happen this year. When they're down early, or even sometimes when they're up early, it's like the game story's already been written. There's not a lot of back and forth. There's not a lot of late inning drama. A lot of these games, I would venture to say a majority of games, have been decided by like the third inning. And that's not good. It's not good for you know interest in a team, but it's also not a good sign of a team that they either have it or they don't have it on a given night. And they clearly didn't have it on this night. No, they did not. The Nats now this season are 12 and 25. Uh, they are 6-18 and 18 since a 6-7 and seven start to the season. You know, when people talk about the dark days of the Nationals in D.C., they talk about the back-to-back 100-loss seasons, 2008-2009. The loss totals for those seasons were 102-08, 103 in 2009. Understand, the Nats right now are on pace to lose 110 games this season, okay? Now, do I think they're going to end up losing 110 games? Probably not, but here's the thing. We can't dismiss that as a possibility. You know, we're 37 games now into this Nats season. We're nearly a quarter of the way into the season. The season's happening, okay? You know, we're not like in mid-April anymore, okay? We're now well into the month of May. It's going to be Memorial Day before any of us know it. And, you know, I do wonder this. Could it be that things are worse than Mike Rizzo and Davey Martinez thought? Could it be that things are worse than any of us thought? That, you know, when initially the Nats went into this rebuild, we all were kind of hopeful and also maybe in denial and saying things like, well, maybe the rebuild won't take so long. And maybe it won't still, right? But what if it does? What if this team is in a worse spot than we ever anticipated? Because the truth is, the Nats so far this season, and things can change, but so far this season have been among the worst teams in baseball. And seeing that performance on Monday night, it just slapped you in the face. This is a really bad team. So at the moment, I'm looking up the standings, only the Reds, who are a complete train wreck. I mean, so bad that they threw a no-hitter on Sunday and still managed to lose the game. So at least we haven't had that yet happen around here. They're the only team with a worst winning percentage at the moment at 257, 9-26, where the Nats are at 324. The only other teams in the conversation, under 400, you have the Orioles and Red Sox are under 400. You have the Royals and Tigers under 400. Oakland's just over it at 405. So, yeah, I mean, it's really bad. And, you know, we've been talking about it's not so much about the record, but about the who's doing what and what signs are there for optimism and particularly among the young guys. There are glimpses of things here and there, but I think what's disappointing is there's not consistency among that. So like, for example, Josiah Gray on any given night can look like, hey, this guy thinks seem, seems like he's going to be a, a solid big league starter. And then other nights can look really bad. Same thing for Yoan Adone. Some of the young guys, Cabert Ruiz on some nights say, boy, he looks like a good quality, maybe even all-star catcher someday, but it's not, doesn't look like that every night. And I think that's maybe the frustrating part of this is that it's not even like we can point at one player and say, okay, boy, this guy's having a great year. 
or here's the thing to get excited about. Yeah, the team is losing, but every single night we get to watch this guy play. Now, that should be Juan Soto, but he's not playing like Juan Soto right now. That's not helping. Josh Bell's been excellent, but as we know, you know, he's in the final year of his contract. We don't know if he's a part of the long-term future or not. Yadiel Hernandez is 34 years old. We don't know what his future is. So I think that, to me, is the discouraging thing that even on a really bad team, you can look at some individuals and say, okay, this is the coming out party for so-and-so. This is going to be, you can tell this guy is a part of the thing when they're going to win down the road. And at least so far, 37 games in, there hasn't been a lot of that. No. And it feels sometimes, and look, it's a day-to-day sport, right? So we could be singing an entirely different tune on the next installment of the podcast. But it's starting to feel like the cupboard may be more bare than we realized. You know, it's starting to feel like instead of, well, they just have to retool and they can get back to winning again. No, it feels like they need a lot of work. The farm system is still ranked as being among the poorest in the sport. And when you see what we're seeing so far this year, so few wins, so many losses, we are seeing a lot of non-competitive losses, the likes of which we saw on Monday night. It's tough. And this game on Monday night really was a complete loss. The hitting was really bad. The pitching was really bad. And the defense may have been worse. Like there's just not a lot to grab onto here with this team right now, Uh, you know, with the offense on Monday night. So Nelson Cruz was scratched from the lineup due to illness. We'll see what ends up coming of that. But, you know, even without Cruz, I mean, we all know he has not been very good this season. The Nats on Monday night, two runs, totaled five hits, all of which were singles, worked just one walk. Uh, Now, the Marlins starting pitcher, Sandy Alcantara, he is good. He's having a good season. He was really good on Monday night, one run in eight innings. But there just was like nothing happening with this team. And, you know, the Nats did their thing where they scored in the first inning. They've done that a lot this year. And then, like you talked about earlier, they just go silent for pretty much the rest of the game. The Nats scored their two runs on Monday night in the first and ninth innings. And in between, there was just so little. Uh, Juan Soto, 0 for 4, left three men on base. Michael Franco, 0 for 4, two strikeouts, left five men on base. D. Strange Gordon, 0 for 4. You know, Josh Bell went 1 for 4 with a single, okay. But, you know, there just was not a lot happening uh, with this team offensively. And when you combine that with the other things that went wrong, it's hard to win. You know, we thought the offense would be good this season, and it still might end up being that. But boy, it has not been good so far this season. Well, that's the hit and miss part, you know, literally. We talked about when they win, they're scoring seven plus runs. When they lose, they're scoring two or one, and there's no in between. They just haven't had these games where they score, you know, four or five, anything like that. To me, what's crazy about this is, and I almost didn't believe it when I saw the final box score, but I look back on this and it's true. They were two for nine with runners in scoring position in this game. Can you believe they had nine at-bats with runners in scoring position? This game didn't feel like they had anything. But you know why? Because the first two innings, they had Alcantara on the ropes. You get a run in in the first. You have the bases loaded with one out, and then Franco hits a chopper to third. They get the out of the plate. Lane Thomas strikes out looking, so that's the end of that one. The second inning, you have two on with one out, and you've got your ostensibly your two best hitters up, and Juan Soto grounds out. And Josh Bell grounds out, and then that starts the run of 20 consecutive batters retired by Alcantara to end his night. He was at 43 pitches after two innings. He only needed 57 
over his next six innings, that fewer than 10 pitches per inning. They were quick at bats. They were non-competitive at bats. It was a ton of ground balls. It's not even like there were a lot of, oh, that ball was well struck and just a nice play. You know, there were a few of those, but not that much of that. And yes, Alcantara is an excellent pitcher. He's probably the ace of that young staff, which is a better than advertised young pitching staff. But still, to have success early and then nothing after that, to me, is very discouraging. And I'm looking at Juan Soto right now, and I'm thinking, I don't know who he is right now. This is not the guy that we have seen. And I know he's had a few slumps in his career, and it usually early in the year. And by the end of the season, we're looking back saying, oh, haha, remember when he was struggling? But boy, both in terms of the results and the body language, I see a guy who is not feeling right up there and is frustrated and does not have the result to show for it. There were some pretty non-competitive at-bats from him in this game. Yeah, we're not used to that with him. And like you just said, the obvious signs of frustration, these manifestations of frustration, usually he's, you know, calm and cool and, you know, he's doing the Soto shuffle and he's uh, grabbing himself all over the place and he's like, you know, he's feeling it. He's got that Soto swagger going on. We're not seeing that at all uh, so far here. And, you know, I don't know if the losing is getting to him or if just his own personal struggles are getting to him. And I say struggles in quotation marks. I mean, he's got an 865 OPS on the year, but the OPS has come down considerably in recent weeks. You know, look, man, this is how it is right now with this team. So Soto's got to either self-motivate or get out of this rut that he's in. Like, this is how it is, okay? I mean, call up Mike Trout and ask him what it's like to be a great player on a bad team. But like, this is where you are, at least for the next few years, you know? I mean, you got to think this isn't doing the Nats any favors and trying to lock him up long term, but that's another conversation. Things aren't changing for this team this season. This is how it is. So he's got to figure something out here. But yeah, he's, he's usually so jovial. He doesn't appear to be that way. You know, he's not, he doesn't seem happy right now, at least when we watch him play. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, he has his moments. I see him in the clubhouse and he can be smiling and having a good time, but it's not quite what we've seen from him in the past. And look, I, he's human. We can understand why he would be very frustrated, both by his performance and the state of the team at the moment. So yeah, I get why that would be the case. But that said, you're a professional and this is the way it's going to be. And, and he kind of already went through this. Remember last year, right after the trade deadline, he slumped a little bit. He was in a, kind of a bad mood. He was down for a few weeks. And then he sort of perked back up. He kind of figured it out and he wanted to have this great second half of the year, even when the team was not good. And it seemed like he had come to grips with what was going on with the organization. Well, he kind of needs to go through that again, potentially here, unless this is truly just about his own individual performance. And maybe that's what it is. Maybe he's just out of sync at the plate right now. He's chasing a lot of pitches. He's those outside balls that he always would drive to left field. He's rolling over on him and hitting ground balls back to the, the, the right side of the infield. And that's just not who he is. He isn't even taking as many walks as we see. You know, he's just jumpy. And maybe that's Nelson Cruz's struggles. Maybe it's hitting second. Maybe it's the team struggles. I don't know exactly what it is, but he is clearly not himself right now. I hope, I think everybody hopes that a month from now, we're laughing at this and saying, hey, boy, Juan Soto's on his way to being an all-star again and having a, an MVP caliber season. And hey, remember that, those couple of weeks when he looked like he was in a slump. But right now in this moment, you can tell he does not look right. Certainly not the guy that we've been watching for the last four years. Yeah, the guy who's actually drawing walks right now, believe it or not, is Cesar Hernandez. He all of a sudden, like, game in and game out is drawing walks, which is nice to see. 
Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. The Window Nation graduation sale continues. If your old windows are failing or just not making the grade, here's a homework assignment. Call Window Nation and get to the head of the class with 0% financing for five full years. Yes, five years, 60 months, and get two free windows for every two windows that you buy. Window Nation windows are the best. Window Nation has installed over a million windows in over 150,000 homes with 96% of those homes needing no follow-up service. You get two free windows for every two windows that you buy and you make no down payment and pay no interest for 24 months. Increase the value of your home with curb appeal. Save money on your energy bills by replacing your old inefficient windows with new energy efficient Window Nation windows. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com. That's 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. That's 866-90NATION or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Now the pitch, swinging a chopper, third baseline, off the mound, bass, off balance throw is not in time. Thomas beats the play. Ball had some spin, and Bass had to really reach for it, and was kind of falling back as he made the throw to first. And Thomas beat it on the play. Yadiel Hernandez scores. 
I think what perfectly captures the Nats offense on Monday night is that they scored their second run on an infield single. Lane Thomas in a one-run Nats ninth had a one-out RBI infield single on a ball that was fielded by the pitcher. You almost never see that. You had that on Monday night. Now, speaking of Lane Thomas, uh, he was involved in about as hideous of a defensive sequence for a baseball team as you'll ever see. The Nats on one play committed two errors on Monday night, and it wasn't just that. There were multiple other defensive miscues uh, during this sequence. We've talked recently about the Nats' sloppy defense. The sloppiness continued on Monday night. So the Marlins on Monday night had a four-run seventh. During that four-run seventh, Lane Thomas committed a throwing error on a play on which the Nats committed two errors. No outs, bases loaded, Nats down 4-1. Victor Arano is pitching. He gives up a single to Jorge Soler to left field. Thomas makes an errant throw to Kbert Ruiz at home plate. Ruiz pulls a Wilson Ramos, has trouble catching the baseball, which ends up rolling toward first base. Arano then picks up the ball behind the first baseline and in trying to throw the ball to second base, throws the ball into center field. Victor Robles then goes sprinting after the baseball. He ends up actually diving stomach first to get the ball before it rolls deep into the right center field gap. And then Robles has trouble getting the ball out of his glove and, in fact, drops the ball onto the outfield grass. Three-run score. It was nearly a Little League Grand Slam. The amount of sloppiness by the Nats on this play, Mark, was mind-boggling. The two errors, the struggles of Kate Bert Ruiz, and then Robles being like bad news bears out there in the outfield. This, in a microcosm, is the state of the Nats defense right now. This was amateur hour, what happened there. So I know, Al, your kids are too young, but you're going to get here someday in the near future. I watch this every Saturday morning. (laughs) My 10-year-old and his team and the teams they play, this is not uncommon (laughs) for this kind of stuff to happen. And it leaves everybody, all the adults, it leaves them like throwing your hands up and screaming and yelling and do this, do that. No, don't do that. No, no, no. Oh, and you just end up putting your hand your hands and your head at the end of all of it as the bases are cleared. You expect that from 10-year-olds. You do not expect that from 25 and 30-year-olds playing Major League Baseball. There was so much that went wrong. It was a hard-hit ball, but the ball goes off D. Strange Gordon (laughs) to get to Lane Thomas to begin with. The throw is offline. Cabert Ruiz not only can't corral it, but then he can't find it. (laughs) And now Arano picks it up and at that point just eat the ball. That's the thing that the Little League coaches have been trying to teach the kids. There comes a point in every play, they yell out, just eat it. Like, just hold on to the ball. Nobody else will advance any further. Let's just take the loss on this play and move on. And they just couldn't do it. They just kept trying to throw people out, and it just kept making it worse. Ugly, ugly, ugly. No excuses for that. And unfortunately, that play is probably going to be one that is uh, remembered for all the wrong reasons around here and could be emblematic of what we think of the 2022 Nationals. Yeah. I mean, for those of you who remember this week in baseball, they used to show bloopers like that. And that's exactly the kind of play that would get shown. And, you know, this is the second time in less than a week that we have a play like this. That base running play with Juan Soto and Josh Bell last Thursday was a similar kind of thing where you're like, this is amateur hour. This shouldn't be happening. And yet it is happening. And oh, by the way, there was another bad defensive moment for the Nats on Monday night. Uh, Bottom of the third, Cesar Hernandez had a defensive fail. Uh, This on a leadoff single by Jorge Soler. The single by Soler came on a grounder that was hit right to Hernandez. Hernandez was playing on the third base side of second base in a shift 
So the shift worked to perfection. Whoever applied the data there did it very well because the ball was hit right to Cesar Hernandez, but he failed to make a backhanded catch of the grounder. He was down on his left knee. Look, it wasn't necessarily the easiest play to make, but that's a play you should make. Again, the ball was hit right to him. Didn't make it. So, you know, is this why the Nats lost a game? No, but every game now, as we talk about these games on this podcast, we have like multiple defensive moments, not always errors, but multiple defensive moments where you say, boy, that's a play that should have been made, wasn't made, and on a bad team, this is what happens. Now, that one was 113 miles an hour off the bat. It was scorched. And I'm assuming that's why it was scored a a hit and not an error. And I do always find it interesting now the information that we all have at our disposal and instantly, can an official score take into consideration things like exit velocity and should that matter in ruling error or no error? I, I think it probably should in that case. But like you said, it's not about whether it was an error or not. It's about it's a play that could have been made and wasn't made. And there have been way too many of those by this team so far this year. And the thing is, if you're the Philadelphia Phillies and you've got a lineup full of sluggers and you're scoring six, seven, eight runs a night, you live with the defensive mistakes and you hope that you still can win games like that. This team cannot afford to do that. They simply do not have the offense. And frankly, they don't really have the pitching that can overcome that kind of stuff because they don't have a ton of high strikeout guys on their staff. They have a few, but if you're going to have a staff that includes a decent amount of pitch to contact guys and Aaron Sanchez falls into that category, you got to play clean defense behind him. And that wasn't the case at all here tonight. And unfortunately, it has not been the case too many times here through the season's first six weeks. Yeah. And as we've said too, a lot of these defensive miscues are being made by veterans. You know, these aren't the Luis Garcias who are making these uh, boo-boos at the major league level. Like these are the Cesar Hernandez's and the Michael Franco's and, you know, even Victor Robles has had some rough defensive moments. It's guys who in theory are supposed to be better, but for whatever reason have not been. So you mentioned the Nats pitching. Uh, yeah, there was that too on Monday night. Uh, Aaron Sanchez was an at starting pitcher, and he was brutal. I mean, let's just say it like it was. Uh, four runs in three and two-thirds innings. He gave up eight hits, a homer, four doubles, and three singles. He issued three walks, uh, one of which was intentional. He recorded just two strikeouts. He threw 74 pitches. He gave up all four of the runs that he allowed in the game in the bottom of the second, during which he allowed six consecutive Marlins batters to reach base with one out, and the frequency with which Aaron Sanchez on Monday night put guys on base who he had down with two strikes was just, I mean, it drove you nuts if you were into Sanchez hopefully pitching well, but he gave up a one-out solo homer to Avisayo Garcia to center field on a one-two pitch to tie the game at one, issued a one-out seven-pitch walk of Brian Anderson, who was down at 1.02, gave up a one-out double to Brian De La Cruz down the left field line on a one-two pitch, uh, gave up a one-out two-run single to Eric Gonzalez up the middle through a drawn-in Nats infield. That was kind of bad luck for Sanchez because he actually induced pretty weak contact there, but that was a two-run single. But then he came right back and gave up a one-out opposite field double to Jacob Stallings off the right field warning track on a 1-2 pitch, then gave up a one-out RBI single to Jazz Chisholm Jr. All of that happened in succession in that four-run Marlins second inning with one out. Uh, He tossed a scoreless bottom of the third Sanchez did, but he again had problems putting guys away, gave up a leadoff single to Jorge Soler. He was down at 1.12, gave up a first-pitch double to Garrett Cooper. And then in the bottom of the fourth, Sanchez issued a leadoff six-pitch walk of Eric Gonzalez. He was down at 1.12. And then Sanchez gave up a two-out double 
to Jazz Chisholm Jr., despite him being down in the count at 1.12. All of these guys were in strikeout positions, and Sanchez did not strike any of them out. And Davey Martinez got Sanchez out of the game. I mean, Sanchez didn't even complete four innings on Monday night. He's now made five major league starts for the Nats. He has an ERA of 794. We've talked about Steven Strasburg and Joe Ross being on the come. At some point, Cade Cavalli is going to be up here at the major league level. You know, who is going to be the odd man out in this rotation? You know, it kind of changes your perception of who that man might be. I mean, right now, Aaron Sanchez, ERA of nearly eight over five starts. Yeah, I kind of feel like if there was somebody else right now ready to take over, it would probably happen. And who knows, maybe they have something up their sleeves that they're working on here. But the only guys on the pitching staff who have pitched for them this year of the 22 people who have pitched for the Nationals already this year. And think about that, 22 pitchers already, 37 games. The only ones with higher ERA are Sam Clay at 11.25. He's at AAA. And D. Strange Gordon at 27.0 from his infamous uh, position player pitching appearance. Not good. But here's what I was just talking about before when we're talking about the defense. If you have a staff that does not get a lot of strikeouts and is pitched to contact, you have to play clean defense. Well, Aaron Sanchez is the epitome of that. In 22 and two-thirds innings this year, he has 12 strikeouts. That is not good in 2022. There are not a lot of effective pitchers in the major leagues in this day and age that strike out so few batters. Now, he throws strikes. We know that. We've talked about that. But you have to play pristine defense behind a guy like that. And he has to somehow induce ground balls and not uh, balls in the air. And he wasn't able to do enough of that in this game. So I don't know what to say about this other than we've discussed he is a placeholder. At some point here, there will probably be somebody else who is more worthy of that spot. But I don't know at this point that we can really say there is someone. I don't think they're going to move Josh Rogers back into the rotation now that they've kind of established him as their only lefty. In the bullpen, Paolo Espino, we've discussed it. They just see him as the mop-up man. He is not going to suddenly be in the rotation. And until uh, Strasburg and Ross, and they are still quite a ways away, are ready, uh, I just don't see any other obvious answers here. And so I think we're probably going to stick with Aaron Sanchez for the time being. Yeah, I mean, to me, if you cared about winning and losing this year, you would have Paolo Espino starting and not Aaron Sanchez. I mean, I, I just, I don't know where the Sanchez thing is supposed to be taking you. The fact that they want to try to fix Sanchez in the meantime while they're waiting for these other guys, I mean, fine. I'm not against signing guys to minor league deals like the Nats signed Sanchez to, but so far, not so good. And, you know, we need to say this, the Nats have like no track record in recent years of fixing guys. Like, and that's what Aaron Sanchez is. He's a reclamation project. You know, you're trying to fix him. Who have the Nats fixed from a pitching standpoint in recent years? That really doesn't happen. Now, they have fixed position players, guys like Gerardo Parra and Isdrubal Cabrera and Josh Harrison were quote unquote fixed. Alcides Escobar even uh, to an extent with what he did last year. But pitching, no, the Nats do not have any kind of a track record in recent years for doing that. So, you know, I think this is part of the frustration is you're watching guys who you know are not here for the purposes of being here when the team is good again. Like Aaron Sanchez is the placeholder. You're treading water with him until somebody else better, younger. Uh, ends up coming along. The Nats bullpen on Monday night, four relievers combined to give up four runs, four into third innings. Carl Edwards Jr. was good. He's actually looked pretty good for the Nats so far. One and a third perfect innings, but Austin Voth and Victor Arano combined to allow four runs in the seventh inning. Erasmo Ramirez tossed the scoreless bottom of the eighth inning. Here's something else too from Monday night. I got a kick out of this. 
So Victor Robles on Monday night, 0 for 3 with a hit by pitch and a stolen base. Do you know that that was his first stolen base of the season? Uh, I mentioned a few shows ago, Nelson Cruz finally got his first double of the season. Victor Robles, who in 2019 had 28 stolen bases, one steal now so far this year. And obviously, when you're not getting on base as often as you had been, you're not going to have as many steals. But still, that was a big part of the appeal of Victor Robles when he first came up, right? His speed. And he's still a fast guy. It's not like he's slow, but geez, one stolen base as we're nearly a quarter of the way into this season. Well, it was actually his first stolen base attempt. He had not been thrown out either. So that tells you a lot of stuff. Number one, yes, he's not getting on base nearly enough. But number two, there's probably some hesitation on his part when he does get there because of his struggles there, especially last year. He was eight of 14. Awful. And when they sent him down uh, to AAA last September, they talked not just about his hitting, but about his base running mistakes, about being better on defense. And they really wanted him to clean all that stuff up. And I wonder if he's thinking in his mind, I can't afford to make any outs on the bases right now. So I'm just going to shut it down and not be aggressive at all on those few opportunities that he does have to try to steal bases. So it's not like this is his first one and he's been thrown out a bunch. No, he hadn't even tried it. And did you notice in that at bat, the pitch before he went, it was a legitimate pitch out by the Marlins. I mean, I don't remember the last time I saw one of those. It's been a while. They legitimately threw a pitch out. He didn't go on it. He then took it on the next one. For Victor Robles to be an an effective offensive player, yes, he needs to, to hit. He needs to lay off breaking balls out of the zone, all that stuff. But he also needs to take advantage of his speed. We've seen him do it a little bit by putting bunts down, by just kind of making contact and, and using his speed to get to first base. But that also applies once you're on base. He should be an above average base runner, and he really hasn't been probably since that 2019 season. It's one of the many things about him that have sort of mysteriously disappeared that make you wonder who is the real Victor Robles? Could that guy we saw in 19 and the guy who was so highly touted, is he still in there somewhere or was that a mirage? I don't know, but you'd like to think if you're Victor Robles at this point, you're getting the opportunity to play every day, even though you're struggling, you're going to get to play. You would think that he'd try to make the most of it and say, hey, I'm going to show you I am a better base runner. I can do this. And I don't know why he hadn't tried one yet. But that stuck out to me that it's not just that he's been poor at base running, but he's not even trying anymore. Yeah, you know, we talked earlier about like the happiness or lack thereof of Juan Soto. You do see that some with Victor Robles, like the joy, the sort of fervor has been zapped from him with all the struggles. That was the one thing or one of the things about it his success at San Francisco a few weeks ago, he not only did well, he looked like he was having fun again. And the more we get away from that weekend, it just feels like a really good weekend. It doesn't feel like a sign of anything, you know, happening with him in terms of him returning to being a good batter again. But, you know, you would think like if you're feeling confident and feeling good, you're going to do things like attempt to steal bases. And, you know, baseball's changing. Teams aren't stealing bases like they used to. We get all that. But geez, I mean, to have one stolen base to not even have attempted a stolen base until Monday night, You know, Juan Soto is the Nats' leader in stolen bases this season. He has three. That's your leading base dealer for the Nats so far this year. Good for Juan, but it ain't supposed to work out that way with this team. That's not the way we would have drawn it up going into this season. No, it isn't. And and I agree. It's just the same thing I was thinking for those couple of days in San Francisco, maybe for a day or two after that in Colorado. Victor was bouncing around. He had the personality. He was feeling good about things, and it's kind of fallen back down again. And Look, I get it. If he's not doing well, you probably feel like I can't show my full personality. But I would just say right now, he's not going anywhere. Like he, he's not about to be demoted, I don't think. Uh, they don't have the bodies to, to account for that. So they're going to give him the, his shot. 
This team is in rebuilding mode. If I'm him, I'm going for broke. I'm I'm giving you the full Victor Robles, and I'm going to try to do this and salvage my career and show that I am still a part of this thing. And if it doesn't work out, so be it. But I would hate to see him miss out on this chance because he's being too tentative because that's not who he is. He needs to be an aggressive player that's in his DNA. And look, the defense has still been very good aside from a couple of mistakes like we've talked about. I want to see the real Victor Robles there, not just at the plate, but on the bases. And we have not seen that. Yeah. And one thing too, you know, Victor Robles is from the Dominican Republic, Juan Soto from the Dominican Republic. If you ever watch the World Baseball Classic, countries like the Dominican Republic, players in Latin America, they play with a flair and with an energy and with a charisma that we're not necessarily used to here, but that's kind of part of how the game is played down there. And so if you don't have that, it's kind of like that's a part of your attack plan that isn't being utilized by you. And I could see that kind of affecting someone. You know, if you're not having fun and getting into the game the way that you are used to, I could see that detracting from your performance. And we've seen Robles' performance diminish here in recent years. So keep your head up, Victor. Keep your head up if you're a Nats fan. Monday night was not good. Better times will come. And we can just only keep hoping that the better times come sooner rather than later. You tell us what you think. You can hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast Nats Chat Podcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the Nats Chat Podcast. We continue to welcome uh, your memories of the 2012 Nationals as we this year are celebrating the 10-year anniversary of the Nationals' first National League East Championship as the Nats franchise. You can send in a voice memo of you telling a tale of a memory or of an experience from that 2012 season. Again, the email address is Nats Chat Podcast at gmail.com. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat our courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. And we're going to leave you right now with something a little different. A friend of the Nats Chat Podcast, former Major League player, in fact, former Montreal Expos player, Jeff Blum. Uh, he has been the color commentator on Houston Astros telecast for years. Uh, obviously, he was in town this past weekend for the Nats series against the Astros. And we have this from Jeff with his perspective on the Astros weekend in D.C., off the two teams having played in the World Series, off Dusty Baker, of course, having been Nats manager. So we thank Jeff for this. We hope you enjoy it. And uh, we thank you for listening to the Nats Chat Podcast. Hey there, my name is Jeff Blum. I am the color commentator for the Houston Astros, and I also have a podcast on this Blue Wire podcast network. It is called Bleacher Blums. Me and a good friend talk a lot of baseball. We talk a lot about life and obviously Astros baseball. Our current episode actually talks about the dead ball issue right now in Major League Baseball with an astrophysicist named Dr. Meredith Wills. Feel free to tune into that. But a real quick recap of what happened over the weekend for the Houston Astros as they went into the nation's capital to play the Nationals. They came in hot, obviously, 10-game winning streak, and they continued that hot streak as they followed Framber Valdez, who went seven and two-thirds innings and shut down the Nationals' offense to one run on eight hits. Did a great job, and obviously things got off to an electric start with Jose Altuve in that lineup. He's been swinging the bat well since coming off the injured list. He hit a home run on the first pitch off Josiah Gray, who is a guy I think is a really good pitcher. When he's right, he's going to be able to figure it out. Uh, The good fastball, pretty good slider, but everything was out over the plate, and I don't think he was ready for the Astros to ambush him like they did. And ambushing is probably a pretty good word for it because they put a five spot up in the first inning, but he pitched extremely well the rest of the way, actually going six innings and only giving up one more run in those six innings. It was a home run to Jordan Alvarez. 
to center field. Yuli Gurriel got hot in this series, actually taking his average from 210 to 248 by the end of it. Has an eight multi-hit games now in that series, and Altuve hit two home runs in this series. But at the second game of the series, Nationals offense lit it up. They blew up Christian Javier for seven earned runs in three and two-thirds innings and stopped the Astros' winning streak at 11. Interesting note about that game, the 13 runs the Nationals scored in that game is one more run than the Astros' starting staff gave up in the previous 11-game winning streak. So credit to them for coming out and blasting and blowing the doors off the Astros in a 13-6 win. And then you've got Justin Verlander, good stopper to have in your rotation. He has been absolutely incredible to start the season after coming off the injured list with Tommy John surgery at the age of 39. The guy is an absolute freak, and he continues to go out there and pitch well. First time pitching in Nationals Park, actually, for the veteran who came into the league in 2005, and he went five shutout innings, and that was more than enough to give the Astros offense an opportunity to put up eight runs and eventually win that game eight to nothing. Patrick Corbin, oddly enough, has pitched in eight games this season, and the Nationals have not won a game yet. They are 0-8 in eight starts for Patrick Corbin. I found that fascinating. And again, Yuli Gurriel found his way out of the ballpark for a second home run of the season and hit both of those home runs in that series. Martin Maldonado, rough start offensively. He got himself a two-run home run and also scored two runs. But the Astros' offense continues to click, and when they get good pitching, usually ends up being a win for the Astros. Thank you for having me on. Again, my name is Jeff Blum. I played 14 years in the major leagues. Now I'm the color commentator for the Houston Astros. And I also, just a reminder, have a podcast on this network also called Bleacher Blums. Feel free to tune in. Thanks for having me on. World Series history. Blum hits it into right down the line. It is gone. Jeff Blum, the former Astro, goes deep. And here in the 14th inning... The White Sox take a 6-5 lead. Jeff Blum gets his first at bat of this series and only his second of the postseason. 